Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Dear Christian friends, we're now in the third week of our series, Waiting for Jesus. And, and as we've talked about, God doesn't want this waiting to be just a, a sedentary, a passive thing. God wants us to be spiritually active. And that's why we've taken a look at how God tells us to prepare for him. How he tells us to listen to his word, to the, the words of love and wisdom that he gives us in his word. And today we come to our, our third active verb that God wants us to, to put into practice, to do as we wait for Jesus, and that's to connect. And I think that's a, a very timely word, right? A timely action because We're only nine days away from Christmas Eve, ten days away from Christmas Day. And Christmas is just one of those times of year when people want to connect. Now, there are some people that just want to connect with their video game that they got over Christmas, or or they just want to connect with their new Legos or their new dolls. Or maybe you just want to connect with your couch and the, the new series on Netflix that you've been waiting to watch. Maybe you want to connect with the new pair of skis you got. Maybe you want to connect with the new gadget, right? We, we sometimes want to take time to connect with things. But especially at this time of year, it just brings out this desire to connect with people. It, it's why we, we spend money buying gifts, right? Because we want to connect with them. We want to show that we love them. It's why we're willing to drive hundreds of miles sometimes and sleep in beds far less comfortable than our own because we want to connect with the people there. But I'm going to give you a spoiler alert right now. That's not going to last. All of the excitement and joy of, of getting everybody together can very easily turn into annoyance by having too many people in too small a space for too long. Everybody needs to go do something. The excitement and anticipation, well, that can really easily turn into disappointment and frustration when, when plans fall apart. When the weather or sickness wreaks havoc on what you had in mind, on the way you wanted it to go. Pretty soon, the relaxation, well, it's going to come to an end. Because the work routine is going to return, the school break, it's going to come to an end. And so if, if Christmas, if that's what you're trying to connect with at Christmas, well, you can see how, yeah, I get how people get easily disappointed and frustrated and disillusioned. What's so big deal about Christmas? If it's just the lights, if it's just the trees, if it's just a bunch of people getting together and drinking eggnog and handing out wrapped things, yeah, what's, what's the big deal? Because rarely does it go the way we want, the way we hope, the way that we dream it would. And that's why we need Christmas to be 
connected to something bigger, something better, something bigger than lights and trees, something better than time off, even time with loved ones. We need Christmas to be connected to something like Jesus. If you're not sure, though, how to go about that, if you're not sure what that looks like or what that means, I have two things to tell you. One, you're in the right place. Because that's what we're talking about today. And that's what we'll be talking about again on Christmas Eve. And two, you are not alone. In fact, I, I think it's exceedingly common, so common, that we're about to hear about a guy that Jesus calls the greatest person who lived. The greatest prophet ever. And he was struggling. He was struggling because he needed to connect to something bigger, something better, something more than just the routine, the day-to-day, the grind, even just even the excitement of a holiday. He needed something more. He needed what we need. He needed a savior. That man is John the Baptist. It's the guy we heard about last week if you were here, right? Or if you caught our podcast or or the recording on our website. John the Baptist lived out in this deserted wilderness, right? He preached this message that we think sounds guaranteed to not draw people. He ate a, a primitive diet and wore rough clothes. And yet the people came to him like crazy crowds of hundreds and thousands. People came because they had, they, John had what they needed. John, from all outwardly perspectives, was wildly successful, even in spite of some of the strangeness about it that might make us go, how? How did that work? Yet, it worked because it was the power of God's word, right? God had a purpose for John. You are going to be the forerunner of the Savior. You're going to prepare the hearts for people of people for their Savior. You're going to point them to the Savior. And John did his job. He lived his purpose. He didn't shy away from telling anybody the message, repent, the kingdom of God is near. There's the Savior. In fact, he didn't shy away from telling anybody. And that included the king. King Herod. John the Baptist wasn't even afraid of telling King Herod that he needed to repent of his adulterous relationship. King wasn't so happy about hearing about that and wanted to actually kill John. But because John was so wildly popular with the people, so many people had gone out to hear him, to be baptized by him, he didn't kill him. He just threw him into the prison. And there, there John languished. There he had to deal with the loss of purpose. There he had to deal with not only the loss of freedom, but the loss of what, what he was all about. And so he needed something. Because everything felt lost. Everything felt uncertain. Everything felt, what's the point? He needed to connect 
to something bigger, to something better. He needed to connect to what we need to connect to, his Savior. And so that's why he, he sent some of his disciples, some of his friends, to go and ask Jesus a question. We find that question in our sermon text from Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 2. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? This question has long puzzled Bible scholars, because they want to know if John is being real here. Is this a real question? Is this kind of like a smarty pants question? What's he doing? Because John's the guy who pointed to Jesus and said, stop following me. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Bingo. Boom. Mic drop. Don't need to say anything more. John's the guy that Jesus asked to baptize him, to fulfill all righteousness. And when John had done so, well, the heavens opened, right? And the voice of God the Father thundered, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. John, his whole job was to preach and to teach, to point people to Jesus. And he had done just that. And now he's really wondering, is Jesus the Savior? Does that make sense? It actually does. If you start, stop and think for a moment and, and understand where John is coming from. Because John is stuck in a prison cell, right? He is used to not only the freedom, but used to preaching and teaching and baptizing people for the forgiveness of their sins in the name of Jesus. Like, he's used to, that's the guy, let me tell you about the Savior. And all of that has been taken from him. He feels purposeless, useless. He's stuck. And if that's the case, if he can't fulfill his purpose, he can't fulfill God's purpose either. And if he can't fulfill God's purpose, then maybe Jesus isn't the Savior. Now that isn't true, but you can see how John's mind went down that dark rabbit hole pretty easily, can't you? You can see how fear was attacking him, how doubts were, were troubling him. And in his doubts, nothing was sacred. Nothing was off limits. Not even Jesus. You know what that's like? Where nothing seems sacred in your heart, in your mind, where you wonder what's your purpose, where it feels like what you want to do, what you're good at doing is taken from you. You just can't get there. You can't reach this. You're struggling. You're languishing. You're, you're doubting. Because there's got to be something more to this, right? There's got to be something bigger. I need to be connected to something because it feels like I'm just spinning my wheels. And the problem is really simple. The problem is the one John had, it's the one that we have, and it's our first takeaway this morning. It's that when I rely on myself 
when I trust in myself, when I think I've got to fix this, I've got to figure it all out, I know how to do this, nothing actually seems certain. Because I know that I'm broken and I can't even control myself and the rest of the world seems out of control and how in the world do I, do I make sense of it? How do I, how do I feel confident in what I'm, who I am and where I'm going and what I'm doing? When I place all of my confidence, my trust, my reliance on myself, it all falls apart. Which is why Jesus answered John's friend's very simply and very beautifully. Take a look in verse 4. Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Jesus pointed John's disciples to what Jesus had been doing. They had seen some of these, no doubt, heard about more of them, certainly. And the things that Jesus tells these men, these disciples, this is what the Savior, this is what I've been doing. These are things that only God can do. Raising the dead, healing those that are paralyzed, giving sight to the blind— Nobody, no human being on their own can do these things. This is the work of God. But beyond just that, Jesus wanted John and his disciples and us to connect to something bigger. Because John certainly knew his Old Testament. He certainly knew the promises God had made, like those we heard from the prophet Isaiah this morning how God was going to send a Savior and he would do these amazingly miraculous things. He would do those very things that Jesus said he did. He would give sight to the blind, proclaim peace to the poor, right? All of these good, amazing God things. And then if you open up the Gospel of Matthew and you begin at chapter 5, do you know what you find? You begin, you find Jesus beginning his most famous message called the Sermon on the Mount, and the very first words of that message are, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And right after the Sermon on the Mount, you know what you find? Jesus heals a man with leprosy. And then do you know what you find after that? Jesus heals the centurion's servant who was paralyzed. And then he heals some more people. And then he raises a girl from the dead. And then he heals another paralyzed guy. And then he gives sight to two blind men. And then he heals somebody who's deaf. Right? Jesus did all of these things that God had said. When you see these things happen, these are not things that naturally occur. When this happens, you will know the Savior has come. Jesus wanted John to understand, check, 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 check. Jesus went right down the line and checked all of the boxes that God had said, you will know the Savior has come. This is the Savior. And so John, as he was doubting, are you, are you, really, are you really the Messiah? Are you really the Savior? 
And you and me, when we wonder and doubt, is God really in charge? Does he really, does he really have this in control? Because it sure seems like a mess out there. Does he really know and love me? Is Jesus really my Savior? Check, check, check. God wanted John, John's disciples and you and me today to make the connection that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's word. All of the promises God made that a Savior is going to come, Jesus came to do that. And so here's what God wants you to understand. It's our next takeaway. That God assures me Jesus is my Savior by connecting Jesus to his promises. Did you know that there are 400, more than 450 Bible passages in the Old Testament, separate Bible passages, that talk about the Messiah that would come and what the Savior would do? And if you go through them, you'll see, oh, Jesus did those things. Healing the, the sick, raising the dead, giving sight to the blind, right? Some of those that we saw today. And there are some who go, yeah, but that could be anybody. But then there are more than 50. In fact, there's more than 60 explicit, detailed, and direct promises, descriptive details that God gives. This is how you will know the Savior has come. Details like he's going to be born in this obscure small town in Judea called Bethlehem that's all but been lost because it's just kind of a nowheresville in the, the ancient world. He's going to be conceived and born in a miraculous way because his mom is going to be a virgin. He's going to be sold for 30 pieces of silver and do you know how much Judas got for betraying Jesus? 30 pieces of silver. He'd be buried with the rich. And Jesus was buried in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. He'd rise from the dead three days later and, well, we know what happened on Easter. He would ascend into heaven on and on and on. More than 50 more. Explicit, detailed specifics Check, 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 check. Run down the list, and every single one of them is fulfilled by one man in one time. And against all the, the odds that all the statisticians want to come up with, Jesus fulfilled all of God's word, all of God's promises, all of God's prophecies, and he wants us to connect all of them with him so that we see this is something much, much, much bigger. God wants us to remember that so that when we read God's word, our, our third takeaway, that God's word always points me to Jesus. Because in God's word, we find the certainty. The certainty that John was looking for, right? That's what Jesus took John's disciples, said, go back and tell John 
all those promises you know about, I've fulfilled. He connected them himself to the promises God had made. And he wants us to know the same thing, that in God's word, we find the certainty that we need, the certainty of a Savior. To drive home the point, Jesus then addresses the crowd. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet. See, Jesus asks a couple of rhetorical questions to to help these people understand why why were all of these crowds going out into the middle of nowhere to see this odd-looking dressed man who eats weird food and has a, a stark and harsh message. Well, it wasn't because they went to see a reed swayed by the wind, right? Somebody who's, whose message is one thing one day and another thing the other day, that he's wishy-washy. Nope, John's message was always the same. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near and there is the Savior. Did you go out to see a, a guy dressed in nice clothes, a smooth talker, something shiny and cool? No, <laughs> that was not John. So what did you go to see? Why did so many people go out into the wilderness? Because they knew that John was a prophet. And because John was a prophet, what did he have? His message was God's message. And here's where Jesus drives that home. Jesus makes the connection. This, John, is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Jesus draws, connects the dots for this crowd. You know the promise that there's going to be someone who's going to prepare the way for the Savior. You've been waiting for him. That's John. You all went out to see him. You are witnesses of this. You are a part of this. And if John is the one to prepare the way for the Savior, then that means Jesus is the Savior. He was helping these people connect the dots that brought it right back so that they would see and know and understand how God's word came full circle and found its fulfillment in Jesus. But then Jesus had something really interesting to say about John and about you. Verse 11, he says, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there's not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Wow. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, John the Baptist, Jesus says, is literally the greatest human being that ever lived. Oh. He's the greatest prophet that God has ever raised up for his people. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's high praise. But then he says, whoever's least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What does that mean? Who, what's the kingdom of heaven? Well, the kingdom of heaven is where Jesus lives and rules by faith. You know, the faith that's in the heart of every believer. That's you. That's me. But how are we greater than the greatest human being who ever lived? Well, John had the advantage of living at the time of Jesus, and we might wish to trade like 
our modern problems and, and live back then and get to see Jesus perform miracles and get to see some of these things and hear him talk. But God says don't. Because, yeah, John got to live during that time, but do you know what happened not long after these words were spoken? John was beheaded by King Herod as a party favor. Yeah, John knew Jesus and pointed to him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But that was kind of the extent of John's knowledge. He, he never saw, he never knew about the events that took place after. He, he believed that Jesus would pay for sin, but he never saw that to fulfillment. He trusted by faith that it would happen. You and I, oh, we know so much more, don't we? We know that the details, we say them, we confess them, we believe that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, that he was born in a miraculous way of the Virgin Mary, that he, was, that he suffered, was crucified under Pontius Pilate. We know the name of that Roman governor, that he died, that he was buried in that tomb, that he descended into hell to preach to all those who did not believe in him, I have won just like I said I would that he rose again on the third day, that there are countless witnesses who saw him alive, that he ascended up into heaven and that he's going to come back to judge the living and the dead and that all who trust in him will live with him forever. See, we have the beauty of, of knowing that, of seeing the whole picture unfold, the whole thing. As we wait for him to come again, we get to connect all of those dots, all of the promises God had made, all of the reality of what Jesus did as we look forward to his coming again and we wait for Jesus. And that's why God wants us to connect this time of year with something much bigger and much better because God did something much bigger than the gift under the tree and much better than even time with family and friends. When you connect Christmas with Christ, Christmas with Jesus, well, no matter how the holiday turns out, no matter if you're stuck in a blizzard in the middle of nowhere, no matter if you're at home by yourself, the, the day is never, the holiday is never a disappointment. Because you understand that in that manger, God did something mind-boggling. He became, the infinite God became like us. In the arms of Mary, that helpless baby is the all-powerful king of heaven and earth. And he came so that he could live for us. So that he could obey his parents perfectly. Not just because it was the right thing to do, but but in our place. So that he could teach and preach perfectly, lovingly, wisely. Not just so that he gain a reputation, but so that more people would trust in him, connect him with, as the Savior, and share that good news. He gave his friend. He welcomed a, a, a friend into his fold 
who would betray him. And he knew it. He allowed the abuse of power by those he gave authority to. He let them stretch him out on the cross and those nails pierce hands that never should have known violence at all. And he did it all so that he could save us from sin, to save us from an eternity apart from him, disconnected from him. Jesus lived and died to save you and me, and he rose to prove he had done just that. And he wants us to connect all of that as we get ready to celebrate Christmas, as we see Jesus is my Savior and all of it has come full circle and full fulfillment. And God has done everything that he said he would do. And now as we look forward, as we wait for him to come again, well, it's not easy, is it? Because there are days when we feel hopeless. There are times when we feel useless. I'm not living my purpose. I'm not living God's purpose. Why am I even here? So that those days when you feel the doubts attack, that you remember, I'm great in God's sight, not because of who I am or what I've done, but because of Jesus. My Savior born for me, my Savior died for me, My Savior waiting to take me to be with him forever. When the the stress begins to overload you, the worries attack, and even the day when you begin, when you breathe your last, that it's without, without fear and at peace. Because you know for certain your Savior is waiting to take you home. Because you have connected all of what God promised with all of what God done, had, has done and of what is still waiting to come. See, that's the beauty. That's what God wants for you today, every day, this Christmas, as you look forward and you wait for Jesus. It's our last takeaway this morning. That because I'm connected to Jesus by faith, that I am certain, certain, and nothing can change it, that I am loved And I am saved. That because God has kept every promise, he will keep every promise. And I'm connected to him by faith. And therefore, I'm going to be with him forever. And he forgives me for all the stupid things I did. And all the the things that I wish I wouldn't have done. And he washes me and he makes me his own. And I get to look forward to that. Because I'm connected to God. And so are you. Amen.